section twenty of our search for a wilderness by mary blair Beebe. this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten jungle life at aremu some pages from my diary continued by c william Beebe. for our supply of meat we depended altogether upon the efforts of an indian hunter who made daily excursions from the clearing after game and who never failed to come back heavily laden with some one of eight or ten varieties of edible birds or mammals he was an arawak going by the name of francis his real indian name being of course never revealed like most of the indians we met he was quiet serious and taciturn but i had the good fortune early to win his approbation and to satisfy him that while my hunting clothes were no match for his copper-colored skin in stalking animals yet i could manage to get through the woods without any great noise or bustle the only personal information i could obtain from him was that he was born on the upper mazaruni had a brother and two sisters and was about forehand twenty years old he got fifty cents a day and his food for hunting and slept in a tiny hammock swung beneath the bungalow floor the indian hunter at hoorie was paid sixty-eight cents a day without rations francis and i had some interesting tramps together and one of my most enjoyable memories of these great tropical jungles is of this little red man short well-built muscular and absolutely tireless i found him to be a great help in searching for certain rare birds and animals and i learned a good deal of jungle craft from him as one example among many things i noticed that he never stepped on a log or fallen tree and it was not until i had crashed through and hurt my ankle on one which had been undermined by ants that i realized how excellent a rule this was a log of apparently the hardest wood might be but a shell thin as paper the facility with which francis found his way about in rain as well as sunshine was a puzzle until by careful watching i found he was constantly making new trails by breaking in the direction of the trail tiny twigs the leaves of which were of a slightly different color beneath such a mark every fifteen or twenty feet was almost a hopeless clue for me at first although ultimately i learned to discover them more readily as the breaking made no noise and was accomplished by the least motion of the hand it was long before i detected it when i went out alone i chose to leave a blaze every ten feet march thirtieth at daybreak we started out on our first tramp i with camera bag gun and glasses half a mile from the clearing i cached the camera and bag the pace being such that i could not keep up while carrying them i have hunted in canada and elsewhere with first-rate guides and backwoodsmen but this was a very different matter from the moment we entered the jungle the whole demeanor of francis was changed he walked like a cat 
and never for a moment relaxed his vigilance and therein he differed from a white man who would unconsciously relax when he thought game was still some distance away his figure slipped silently on ahead of me flowing under trunks passing around the densest clumps of underbrush while i followed and imitated as best i could learning every minute more than i had ever known of the art of effacing oneself in the wilderness every step was made carefully and the entire field of view ahead swept and every significant sound noted a branch would fall with a series of resounding crashes and the indian would apparently not hear it while a cracking twig or a low rustle which i could scarcely detect would lead him off in an entirely new direction not necessarily toward the sound but often to flank it or get to leeward of it during the first two or three hours we would give our whole attention to hunting but when the day's supply was provided we then stalked the birds and wild creatures and watched them as closely as we could our first tramp was in a general south or southeast direction passing over a succession of hills five in all three of which were high and quite steep but all of about the same diameter with regular slopes and flat narrow valleys these were mostly swampy or if dry had a stream flowing slowly along the middle agoutis were abundant in such places and we could always depend on obtaining them when desired as we left the bungalow i had laughingly asked mrs wilshire what meat she desired for dinner and she said venison so when i told francis in the broken english which we must use in talking to these indians that we must get deer he nodded and disdained the agoutis if i had said francis we must be sure to get deer to-day in preference to other game he would have understood not a word but shoot em deer eh no akuri no laba no maipuri outlined the day's work perfectly in his mind i was rather reluctant to use this um ug language at first it savored too much of the theatrical indian dialect or of penny dreadful wild west jargon but it soon became perfectly natural and was really necessary after a half hour's walk francis motioned me to take the greatest care and pressed my shoulder lower until i was almost on my knees while we slowly crept around a great mora trunk he pointed steadily ahead but after a three-minute scrutiny I could discern not a sign of life then he raised his gun and fired and set loose a half dozen feathered bombs or so it sounded as a flock of nearly full-grown guiana crested tinamou arose with a roar i secured one with a quick snap shot and we tied up the brace of birds with a slender tough bush thread fastening head feet and wings together the indian tied them ingeniously around his waist the birds hanging down behind out of the way 
at the sound of the guns three tiny male purple-throated euphonias clad in purple jackets yellow caps and waistcoats came down to see what the noise was about they were ridiculously tame and sang their simple chattering song in our very faces in the fourth valley we found a perfect maze of agouti tracks mingled with the fresh imprint of a tapir's feet francis showed me the spot where he had shot one of these bush cows the week before a few yards beyond we found a deer's track and in some way the indian seemed to know that the animal was close at hand we crawled silently for twenty or thirty yards through a shallow creek then separated and crept along the slope one on each side a sudden rustling of vines came from a bend in the stream and we both caught sight of the bright rufous flanks of a deer we secured it and then for some reason francis remained perfectly quiet for five minutes while a delightful bit of wilderness life appeared close to me the smoke from my gun was still clinging to the great fern fronds overhead when a second deer a doe walked fearlessly past along the opposite slope stopping to nibble at a leaf now and then and at last vanished into the underbrush i was about to climb down to the deer we had shot when i heard a splash and a weak little bleat and looking at a pool ahead there i spied the tiniest of fawns standing in the shallows looking full at me and now and then splashing the water i whistled and the little thing started toward me fearlessly standing knee-deep in the water its tiny rufous form decorated with three lines of spots every one of which was perfectly reflected in the water suddenly with a snort and a stamp the mother took one leap over a bush her eyes staring in terror at me then turned and vanished in some way she had infused the spirit of fear into her offspring for with a bleat which was almost a shriek the little fellow galloped madly awkwardly after her tripping every few steps as he turned his head to see if this awful thing was pursuing i never saw such an instantaneous change from confidence to fear in any creature the most remarkable thing was that the mother and fawn had not taken fright at the roar of the guns in their very ears the very loudness and proximity must have had a numbing effect on the organs of hearing i found that francis had seen the second deer after shooting at the first and had lain flat while she walked so near him that as he showed me by her tracks he could have reached out his hand and touched her as she passed we know but little of the deer of this region and i took some notes on this first savanna deer odocoileus savanarum which we obtained for the mess it was a male without horns and of a uniform rich rufous above with grayish brown head and the legs up to the hock moose color the tip and underside of the tail and inner thighs were white while the rufous color was continuous around the breast and belly 
the deer stood twenty-four and one-half inches high at the shoulder and weighed seventy pounds it had been feeding on leaves and on the great number of seeds of the caracali tree much like the mora the seeds look like nutmeg in the mace and two grow in each husk the skill and rapidity with which francis prepared the animal for carrying was remarkable he removed eight foot strips of bark from a small tree which he called mahu and stripped off the tough pliable inner layer with this he bound the legs and head together then tied a broad band of bark about the body leaving it loose at the top i hoisted up the deer and he put his arms and shoulders through the tied legs as if it had been a pack bag and slipped the loose band of bark across his forehead like the tump lines of the canadian indians a gentle cool breeze was blowing down the narrow valley and the blood from cleaning the animal had not been exposed five minutes when a line of burying beetles and yellow wasps began coming upwind to the feast such a summons calls them far and wide from their vantage points on leaves and branches where we see them so frequently in walking through the jungle before fifteen minutes had passed an orange-headed vulture appeared soaring over the little opening in ever lessening circles he too had responded but as much by sight as by scent to the welcome meal on the way home we frightened a group of large weasel-like creatures which we found to be teras galictus barbara or as the natives call them hackas seven ran rapidly away snarling and i secured one they had been feeding on big grubs which they had nosed out among the dead leaves a rather remarkable occupation for creatures of the fierce mustelidae family the fur was dark brown with a white spot on the breast while the tail was long and bushy before we reached the clearing a quadrille bird sang to us from the heart of a tangled swamp a new theme differing from any i had heard during the four-mile walk to the clearing there was hardly a minute when we were out of sight or sound of birds big blue tinamou and jacupiba guans boomed up before us woodpeckers and mannequins of several species called and flew here and there while we passed flock after flock of ant birds woodhewers flycatchers and tanagers one bird which i secured the wallace olive mannequin was altogether of a dull olive with none of the brilliant color patches of its congeners when i went to pick up the specimen i saw a curious jointed band lying across it and found a six inch centipede on the bird the mannequin must have fallen across the path of the myriapod as it was crawling over the jungle floor while wrapping up this bird a flock of tiny brown-fronted jungle vireos flew close to us uttering a song like a diminutive alarm clock whirchi francis shot one 
which was hardly more than four inches in length olive green above paler below those who think that all tropical birds are brightly colored should see the great number of species of sober little fellows like these march thirty first francis and i started out in a light rain at daybreak in search of trumpeters and howling monkeys the cook was well supplied with meat so we did not intend to bother with game with the help of goeldi's plates of brazilian birds and much crude attempt at sketching i had taught francis what creatures i wished especially to see about three hundred yards from the clearing francis pointed out a beautiful nest of a white-throated robin made of green growing moss and placed close to the trunk of a tree about six feet from the ground we marked the spot and went on but a day or two later i returned and examined it more carefully this thrush is olive brown above pale below with a streaked chin and throat like our northern robin its most characteristic mark however is a patch of pure white on the upper breast which flashes out like a star among the shadows of the jungle the parent was shy and would slip off at my approach but return as silently if i walked away for a minute when i prepared to photograph the nest she thought something was seriously wrong and voiced her alarm with a sharp cut cut when i focused close to her home her anger got the better of her and she scolded me roundly with harsh notes repeated in phrases of seven chick 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 the nest touched the trunk of the tree but rested on a loop of two-inch bush rope or liana which swung against the bark binding one tree to another just below was a fungoid excrescence larger than the nest itself the nest was a double one the new one being built directly on the older the latter was composed of dry dead moss while the new one was fresh and green there were two eggs pale blue-green thickly spotted with brown of various shades much more densely at the larger end we found this robin was a common breeder hereabouts and discovered four other nests all within a half mile of the clearing yet all in deep jungle the parents differed radically in their actions two allowing us to inspect their treasures without fear while two others became terrified if we approached within twenty feet of their nest to return to our trumpeter and howling monkey hunt it rained much of the morning but for the most part only a drizzle francis said that wet weather made bad hunting except for deer and bush cow or tapir chiefly because the continual noise made by the falling raindrops made it difficult to hear the rustlings of birds and animals i thoroughly enjoyed this new aspect of the jungle world as usual small birds were fairly abundant of which apparently ninety nine per cent were ant birds or wood hewers the most common ant bird in the valleys was the scaly backed slate colored except for the feathers of the back wings and tail which were black tipped with white at one place two dozen of these little birds must have been in sight uttering sharp snapping calls and clinging like marsh wrens 
to upright stems in the low underbrush every now and then we came across a good-sized hole with fresh earth thrown out at the entrance francis said that this was made by a yasi and he recognized an armadillo when i drew it suddenly the rain came down in sheets and streamed through the dense foliage francis gave me his gun ran to a turu palm a species which has no stem but sends its leaves fern-like from a base level with the earth he cut off five stalks with as many blows of his knife brought them to me and stuck them upright in the fork of a low branch we stood under them for half an hour and never a drop came through although three inches out in any direction the rain was falling in torrents it was a wonderful example of a waterproof shelter put up in about thirty seconds can we blame these indians for a general lack of industry when game is as easy to obtain as we found it and when one may build a house in half a minute with a few knife strokes during the entire downpour we saw only a long-tailed hummingbird which unconcernedly searched the undersides of leaves for insects francis said its nest was hung on the side of the tip of a turu frond a fluted tree of large size near us he called balakusan saying it was used for making paddles like ruruli a section would look something like this the folds when cut off are so thin that a very little additional shaping forms them into blades as we were walking along after the shower several twigs fell on us which would have been unnoticed by me as leaves and even branches are continually dropping in these forests but francis looked up at once and whispering baboon pointed to where a great male red howler mycestes sanniculus was walking slowly along a branch overhead a carefully aimed shot brought it to earth stone dead it was a magnificent specimen weighing just twenty pounds and the hyoid bone protruded like an exaggerated adam's apple these howling monkeys are of course not really baboons as these latter monkeys live only in the old world and have short tails while the howlers are members of the american family Sibidiae. they are of a low type of intelligence and will not live long in captivity being morose and sullen very unlike other smaller south american primates the hyoid bones in the throat are enlarged to form a great thin walled bony drum which is the chief instrument in the production of their wonderful voice there were two females and a smaller male in this party but i got no clear sight of the others after i shot the old one as in the case of the deer tiny burying beetles began coming within two minutes after the blood of the baboon had been splashed on the leaves we had walked for ten or fifteen minutes after shooting the monkey when we heard an infantilic roar from the remaining male this the old one would never have allowed so we had an interesting example of the almost immediate usurping of the leadership by a young animal at the death of presumably its parent francis had remarkable eyesight 
and when he once realized that i was interested in small birds and other objects he would silently point out everything in our path in this way i found a remarkable frog which was so protected by its color and markings that i should never have discovered it by myself i have mentioned it before as being of good size earthen brown in color and with a tall thin leaf-like ridge on the head over each eye and a row of light gray tubercles like fringe down each side of the body from the tip of the nose to the tail extended a narrow pale bluish line and externally there seemed to be almost no differentiation between head and body i heard red-billed toucans calling in a high tree and stalking them succeeded in shooting two both males one younger than the other the coloring of their beaks was wonderfully brilliant and variegated their notes were of the robin song type phew phew although the resemblance to a puppy's voice was also strong they had been feeding on seeds with a pinkish pulp which francis called suluwafadi there were three toucans in this group and when the first old bird was shot the others returned and called continuously and loudly the third also came back to the same tree and i found that this was the adult female in this case as always i did not take the life of a living creature without some good reason for sport never but either as food or as in this instance as the only way to solve a problem of scientific interest i had noticed trios of toucans in many places and wondered whether the third bird was an extra female or young on the following day i observed no fewer than five separate trios of toucans of two species and now that i knew the dull colored upper tail coverts were a clue to the young bird of the year my high-power stereo glasses showed me a single young in each instance we know practically nothing of the nesting habits of this group except from vague accounts so it is certain that in this region the rule is that only one young bird is reared to maturity the loud hollow whirring of the wings of these birds often drew our eyes up to the treetops and we had many opportunities of watching them feed the commonest way was for them to creep out as far as they dared to the branch tips and then crane their necks and bills to reach the fruit but often they adopted a more spectacular method a trio would beat heavily into a berry-laden tree and perch quietly a few moments looking carefully in all directions for danger overhead for hawks and eagles beneath and around for monkeys opossums and snakes then one would launch out make a flying leap at a pendant cluster of fruit clutch it frantically with its feet and dangle and sway for ten seconds at a time reaching out the while and filling its bill with the berries then when the bird dropped exhausted to a branch below it would swallow what it had gathered after shooting the toucans i leaned my gun against a patch of black moss on a tree trunk to my astonishment the moss whirled outward and back and then i saw it was a host of caterpillars 
crowded as densely as they could be in a patch three feet high and forming a semicircle about the six-inch trunk. They were covered with black branched stinging hairs with two longer tufted ones on the segments near the head. As Francis said, um worms hairs bite hard. I began experimenting with their reaction motions. I found that any st sound or hiss, the snapping of fingers, whistling, hand clapping, or pounding on the metal or wood of my gun, caused absolutely no response on the part of the caterpillars. No matter how close to the creatures or how loud or sudden was the sound, unless they were touched, they did not move. On the contrary, any utterance of such sounds as biz, bo, bing, buzz, even when so low as hardly to rise above a whisper, caused every caterpillar of the many hundreds to react as one. The head with the long tufted appendage was jerked quickly backward, then down, and on the edge of the mass from side to side, those in the center, because of their position, had only the up and down flick. The effect as a whole was indescribable. An inconspicuous growth of moss was transformed like a flash into a seething, rearing mass of waving caterpillars. A suggestion altogether theoretical is that the reaction to the buzzy sounds may hint that the chief danger feared by these caterpillars is the fatal buzz of the wings of the ichneumon fly. This evening we added baboon and billbird to our venison, and were surprised to find the former tender and by no means devoid of taste. The toucans were tough, but more than one of us came back for a second helping of howler, in spite of the cannibalistic shaft with which we were regaled. The rain had increased in amount successively during the last three days, and tonight a new sound was added to our nocturnal chorus, the bubbling or gurgling frogs, which by the score vented their joyful emotions in energetic gulps from the jungle at the edge of the clearing. End of section 20